Christ presents Do Not Be Afraid to Love More, the sermon by the Rev. Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, December 18th, 2022. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That seems to me to be one of the odder assurances given by an angelic messenger to a human being in the biblical tradition. Do not be afraid of my judgment. I will be compassionate. Do not be afraid to go into battle. I will be with you. Do not be afraid of starvation or thirst. God has heard you and will rescue you. Do not be afraid of the Egyptians or the Moabites or the Canaanites, the Assyrians or the Persians. Do not fear for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Do not be afraid of these things that can harm you, because I will save you. Over and over again, God promises to be with God's people, to save and protect. But do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What's to be afraid? How can that harm him? Matthew's window into the birth of Jesus offers us a stark contrast to the story we have been reading through these weeks of Advent in Luke. Because in Luke, it is Mary who we meet. Mary, whose angelic visitor we overhear. Mary, whose dilemma we empathize with and whose courage we admire. Mary, whose prophetic message of the powerful brought down and the lowly lifted up, the hungry filled with good things and the rich sent away empty all of that prepares us for the adult Jesus and his first sermon in Nazareth, when he read from the scroll of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke's nativity story acts as an overture to a gospel which will emphasize the role of women in the new community, the obligation of the rich toward the poor and outcast, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and the great good news that Jesus is Lord, Son of God, and Savior, and Caesar is not however much Caesar might claim those titles, they don't belong to him. We have seen Mary and Zechariah before her visited by messengers sent by God and watched as they received courage that they needed to turn and become messengers themselves, models of discipleship for us to follow, to listen and turn in courage and become messengers ourselves. Matthew's birth narrative also acts as an overture to the gospel that follows it, a little miniature encapsulation. Matthew emphasizes that the Jesus story is the fulfillment of the Hebrew scripture, that Jesus himself is the new Moses, a renewed Moses who will not only lead God's people,
but is God's very presence with them to save? As an aside, if you're interested in seeing those parallels between Moses and Jesus spread out for you, and even how the construction of the Gospel of Matthew into five sections echoes the five books of Moses in the Torah, I direct you to Kossin and Borg's book, The First Christmas, chapter two. It's fascinating to see it laid out. In this overture, Matthew grounds Jesus in that ancient tradition, highlighting Joseph as his human adoptive father, because Joseph is the descendant of David, and the Messiah must be of the house and lineage of David. That's one motivation for Matthew to include the story and to frame it this way through the eyes of Joseph. But what about the motivations inside the story? What's happening for this character, Joseph? A character whose voice we never hear directly, who shows up here to receive angelic affirmation, to go ahead and marry Mary, to name Jesus, and then later he makes a small cameo to move his little family to Egypt and back again to Israel for safety. And then he disappears from the story altogether. We know a couple of things. We know that Joseph learned about Mary's pregnancy and he knew he wasn't the father. We know that he was a righteous man, that he wrestled with a decision about what to do, that he came up with a solution he could live with a quiet divorce. We know that he slept and dreamed, and into that dream the angel spoke and upended his sensible plan. Often we hear, hear this explained this way. Joseph, being both righteous and compassionate, considered both the law and the prophets as he tried to figure out what to do with this situation he was caught in. The laws about marriage are found in Deuteronomy as part of a long catalog of laws set up to set the people apart from the nations around them and designed to create them as a people who are holy and whole, taking care for one another, not breaking relationship, not breaking the covenant among the people. On the one hand, that law specified that women who were discovered upon their wedding night to be non-virgins could be stoned, should be stoned. Also, couples who were caught in adultery, likewise, should be stoned. Joseph could have upheld righteousness and denounced Mary and had her stoned. On the other hand, prophets like Micah, whose words we know and cling to, called for the people to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Since we have, in fact, no evidence that the law of stoning was ever actually carried out, there's no historical evidence that it ever took place, it existed in law form to frighten people, to keep people in line. Perhaps because of, for that reason, it was easier for Joseph to choose the kinder path of divorcing Mary quietly. Well, that is, of course, a lot kinder than stoning. But the evidence that we do have is that a woman who was unwed and had a child was shamed and that it was unlikely for her ever to marry. So she would be socially and economically vulnerable, relegated to the margins of society for much of her life. 
So even though Joseph had chosen the kinder path, the angel showed up to reassure him that there was no, there was no need to be afraid to marry her because the child was from the Holy Spirit. There is no shame to swallow. Go ahead and marry her. You don't need to be afraid of scandal. You don't need to be afraid that you will be allowing some other guy's child to inherit your estate someday. This child is from the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. That's how we usually hear it explained. But this year, as I read the text, I noticed that before Joseph's deliberations, before his decision, before his dream, Mary had already been found to be pregnant of the Holy Spirit. Joseph had already been told that. The angel came not to give him the news that this child is from the Holy Spirit, so don't be afraid, but to give him courage to believe it and to act on it. To give him courage to act with both boldness and vulnerability. Was Joseph afraid that Mary had betrayed him? Or was Joseph afraid that God had in fact come wonderfully, fearfully close? I wonder if I, or any of us, how we would feel to find God that close up to situations in our lives, demanding that we act, inviting us to act in ways that seem to counter the proper way to behave. As the Salt Commentary put it this week, either way, the angel called Joseph to a love that doubles as a kind of courage. Courage to commit, though the neighbors may whisper or judge. Courage to nurture, though the child you raise is from the Holy Spirit. What a frightening task to nurture love itself. Courage to love the child, even though the child you love is named Jesus, Emmanuel, that is, the Holy One who saves, is with us. Don't be afraid to embrace what looks to the outward world like scandal or nonsense, the world of right thinking and rigidity and keeping up appearances, which often passes for religious or spiritual life. I wonder where in our world we are being called to love with courage that defies convention. I think about the beginning of the movement for LGBTQ civil rights in this country and the congregations of the United Church of Christ and other denominations who faithfully listened to the still speaking God, who said to them, some people will be scandalized. Nevertheless, love anyway. Don't be afraid to say how the Spirit is speaking to you. Don't be afraid of what others will say of your decision to love more. Do not be afraid to love more. Where is the Spirit calling us as individuals and as a congregation to love more bravely in the face of righteous convention? Here is the good news of the Incarnation. In Jesus, God has blessed our human vulnerability. Joseph's, Mary's, yours, mine. Like us, Jesus lived from the precarity of infancy to the inevitability of human death. Like us, he lived from vulnerability to vulnerability. 
In Jesus, we have a savior who will lead us to peace through justice and mercy, not one who will lead us to peace through conquest and war. As Debbie Thomas wrote, quote, no wonder the angel's first words to Joseph were do not be afraid. If we want to enter into God's story, then perhaps these are the first words we need to hear also. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid when God's work in your life looks alarmingly different than you thought it would. Do not be afraid when God upends your cherished assumptions about what righteousness is. Do not be afraid when God asks you to stand alongside the scandalous, the suspected, or the shamed. Do not be afraid when God asks you to love something or someone more than your own spotless reputation. Do not be afraid of the precarious, the fragile, the vulnerable, and the impossible. As we go out to celebrate with our friends this week and as our families gather, as we gather again next week to hear the ancient story, I pray that we hear it anew. I pray we are brave. I pray we are vulnerable. I pray we take risks. I pray we let go. I pray we make room because Jesus, the Holy One who saves, is with us. Amen. Listen, listen.